0: Before uh, before we get into our message this morning, why don't we just pause uh, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna pray, uh, man. You, this week, it, didn't it seem like fear caught hold of our culture just a little bit this week? Didn't you think that? I mean, uh, if you didn't know, uh, you know, stock markets kind of plummeted, and, and that's a sign of people being afraid of what's going on, and. and rumors of pandemic and all these kind of things. And uh, uh, man, I'm so grateful that uh, w- with Jesus and God as the foundation of our lives, we don't have to get frazzled when those things happen. Because we have a foundation that sees us through any storm, right? Isn't that good? Isn't that good news? And, and so, uh, our, our culture's really being tempted to fear this week. And and we're going to participate in that fear. We're going to, it's going to be easy, an easy temptation for us, and so why don't we pause and, 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 and pray that God would guard our hearts against that, and that we would instead go, how can we serve? How can we pray blessing over our, our nation and, our, and, and the world as we go through this uh, COVID-19 uh, crisis that's going on right now? And, and how can we not just be afraid, but how can we actually love? Wouldn't that be a better response for us? So, why don't we pause this morning? Just to think of maybe if you weren't born in Canada, maybe you were born in a place that is affected quite, quite a bit. Remember that place, but whatever God puts on your heart, just let's bring it to Him. Reminded this morning, Lord, that more than any other command you gave your people, you said, do not be afraid. And so, Lord, we want to this morning not be afraid, and we look to you, and we say, say again, no matter what we're going through, the good or the bad, uh, challenges in our own personal lives or what we're going through as a, a, a city and as a country, uh, we want to look to you and say, you're enough for us, God, and you're faithful, and you're good, and this morning, we, we put our trust in you to, to care for us, Every day of our lives, Lord, in sickness and in health, for better, or for worse, Lord, you're with us. You've pledged yourself to us, God. Um, help us, Lord, trust you. Help us to, to not lose heart. And as we see uh, the, the kind of chaos that this virus has brought on our, on our world, uh, we look at you as our sure thing, and we hold fast to you. Lord, we do pray for the many, many, many who are impacted by this. We think of our friends, our family. We think of nations. Uh, We again would lift up the nation of China, especially, Uh, but other countries of the world, Iran and and now Italy and others, Lord, where this virus has been spreading. We pray, Lord, for your protection and your healing and your restoration, God. Uh, Lord, would you send aid? Would you send help? I pray you'd, uh, uh, Lord, we'd even boldly say, would you use this season of uncertainty to to draw people to you. Lord, use what the enemy has meant for evil and and turn it for great good, we pray. We'd love to see that happen, God. And uh, use us, Lord. I pray, uh, again, that we might be agents of your love uh, in our families, in our neighborhood, in our city, and, and in the world, Lord. May we be messengers of hope, we ask. We pray all these things together. We also just Uh, ask that you would speak to us during this time, Lord, as we consider your word. Would you uh, open our eyes and uh, make real to us your truth? We pray these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. It's good to pray, always good to pray. Well, we've been in this uh, series that we've called Unhurried, where we've been thinking about ruthlessly eliminating hurry from our lives. Uh, Dallas Willard said that, Uh, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. And he's got a point. We're living in a distracted day where we got stuff coming at us all the time. Our our work is, is full on, our pace. And all these things rob us of so much. They rob us of our primarily capacity to be present. Present to God, present to one another, and even present to ourselves. And so we've been looking at spiritual practices and disciplines that are going to help us in our war against hurry. And the discipline we're going to look at today is especially relevant to us in our culture for one main reason. Most of us are rich. (laughs) It's because we're rich, Uh, you know, at least in world standards, uh, we are some of the richest people on the planet, on on the globe. If your family makes more than $25,000 a year, you're in the top 10% highest paid people on the planet, and it doesn't take much more than that to get you in the top 1% of earners on the planet. The Apostle Paul quite famously said in 1 in Timothy, he said, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And you could make the argument that the love of money is actually the root of all kinds of hurry, Right? Uh, it, it, uh, this holding tight to a certain kind of lifestyle, the, the love of, of stuff um, could be the root of all hurry. Brian Zahn, I'm reading a daily devotional of his through this season of Lent, and uh, he said something I've heard many times in many different ways from spiritual leaders and from Jesus. He said this, economic self-interest is the single greatest obstacle to full participation in the kingdom of God economic self-interest. It's the kind of thing that Jesus warned us about. Uh, We read these words of Jesus in Luke chapter 12, where he says, watch out. He says, be on your guard, he says, against all kinds of greed. And he went on to say this most profound thought. He says, life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. In Mark 4, Jesus says, described what he might have called the enemy of the spiritual life when he was explaining the the parable of the the good soil, the good sower, or the the four different soils. uh, He said this, he said, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Notice what he said about wealth, the deceitfulness of wealth. It's like the chief... Of all con artists, money is, and it can have a suffocating effect on the soil of our hearts, choking out the life of the kingdom of God. And and the Canadian dream is is really founded on the premise, the the lie, really, that the more you consume, the more you have, the happier and and more satisfied you'll be, and it's just not true. Um, Now, I consider myself to be an aspiring minimalist um, my wife would say I'm a non-practicing minimalist. <laughs> 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 Nevertheless, uh, listen to th- some of the astounding stats I have come across in recent weeks to do with Canadians and the abundance of our stuff. Check this out. Um, apparently, there are 300,000 items in the average Canadian home. Now, I, I know some of you are going to just start doing a mental count. Okay, I've got all those the packages, screws. That's like, you know, no. Uh, don't, don't, don't go there. You don't want to know how many things you actually have. Um, one out of every 10 Canadians uh, rents off-site, store, off-site storage. Apparently, there's two feet of square foot storage for every, every Canadian man, woman, and child. We have so much stuff that we just have nowhere to put it. It's a huge growth industry, by the way. Um, 25% of people with two-car garages don't have room to park cars inside their garages. I resemble that remark. Uh, British research found that the average 10-year-old child owns 238 toys, but get this, they play with 12 at most. They they own 238, they're playing with just a fraction of that. 3.1% of the world's children live in North America, but they own 40% of the toys consumed annually, globally, I should say. The ca- average Canadian woman owns 30 outfits, one for every day of the month. In 1930, that was just nine. Uh, shoes, uh, they found that is uncountable. Yeah. I have, I have no statistic to back that up. I, I don't know where I found, read that one. Listen to this. Over the course of our lifetime, we'll spend, get this, 153 days of our life searching for lost things. (laughs) You know, the research found we lose up to nine items every day, or 198,000 in a lifetime. Phones, keys, sunglasses, and paperwork top the list. (laughs) Some of you actually skew the average up on us, I think. I've watched your lives. Finally, sorry, I didn't mean to insult most of you there, but um, it's a gift I have. Finally, in Canada and the U.S., 1.2 trillion dollars are spent every year on items we don't need. That's 1,200 billion. Not crazy, folks. This is just the air we breathe. I mean, and this is the culture we're in. We're we're speaking of ruthlessly eliminating. Hurry. We are trained ruthlessly from the time we come out of our mama's womb to become consumers and and accumulators. We're we're fed the lie at every turn that our lives actually do consist in the abundance of our possessions. We live in a culture that where if you say, I'm not gonna buy so much stuff, you'd be walking away from messaging that you're getting all the time. Uh, Richard Foster, a great writer on this topic says, that the purpose of all media bombardment is to increase desire. And he, and he goes on to say, he says, they have to change that's extravagant into, that would be nice to have, into, I really need that, into, I got to have that. That's the goal of marketing. And we live in a culture that sends us that messaging constantly with a zeal and a, a commitment and a financial backing and a power that's unmatched of any other mush message that our culture is sending us. Uh, John Mark Comer talks about advertising as a multi-billion dollar industry that's intentionally designed to lie to you, to get you to believe that if you will only buy this or that product, then you'll be happy, or at least happier. Jesus taught something quite directly, what we kind of think, uh, understand intuitively. Money is more than just money. It's more than just a medium of exchange. It's a a personified power. It's a, a rival God, something that invites us to put our trust in it. And it has power to possess us, and it wants us to serve it. We all know people um, who, who, from any outside objective measure, have more than enough, and yet they're obsessed with making more. Um, Michael Jackson, uh, even though his 1982 album, Thriller, was the highest selling album of all time at 100 million copies. He was interviewed by a reporter about how discontent he was with that breathtaking number of sales, and he told told this reporter his ambition was that his next album would sell twice as many copies. Uh, Sam Walton, uh, founder of Walmart, one of the largest companies in the world. His wife, Helen, admitted, I kept saying, Sam, we're we're making a good living. Why expand more? I mean, the stores are just getting farther and farther away. After the 17th store, she says, I realized there was not going to be any stopping it. And then, of course, Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest people of all time, uh, what was asked, how much money does it take to make a person happy? His famous response, just a little bit more, <laughs> right? Just a little bit more. John Mark Comer puts it this way. He says, in my opinion, the verdict is in. Time is telling of the catastrophic damage that materialism is doing to the soul of our society. This, this lie we believe is wreaking havoc on our emotional health and on our spiritual lives. One cultural commentator called it affluenza. It's like a disease promising to make us happy for $49.99, while in fact, it's a man in the shadows pulling our strings and stealing our money, and with it, our joy. And here's the thing about materialism. It makes us busy. As Alan Fadling said, the, the drive to possess... Is, is an engine for hurry. Because here's the thing, everything that, that we have, everything that we buy costs us not just money, it, it costs us time. First of all, it's, it's time to earn the money, right? I mean, a, a friend of mine was uh, determined to purchase a $40,000 motorcycle. I think for $40,000 you get a pretty good motorcycle. Harley Davidson all decked out, this was his dream. And so my friend, uh, we, we meet at Starbucks a couple times a week and, and, and he'd tell me these stories about this motorcycle and his dream and he'd get this glint in his eye at least that was in the early days and he accepted every overtime shift that his work would offer him and he put money aside for, for a couple of years and and then suddenly it seemed like the, the, the stories stopped coming and I saw no motorcycle and so a while back I, I said to my friend, I said, "What what's with the bike? He said, well, I, I I've given up saving for that. (laughs) He said, that motorcycle isn't worth what it was costing me. It was costing me not just money, it was costing me my life. He said that. And here's the thing, even if you do purchase that thing, you're now investing all kinds of of time caring for that thing. Uh, This has become much clearer to me uh, personally in the last couple of years. Uh, Two years ago, Angel and I inadvertently became a one-car family. We had two vehicles, and our beloved Toyota Sienna van, which we'd owned for a long, long time, uh, was parked out in front of our house, and it was hit by a drunk driver. And uh, grateful that no one was hurt, but our van was hurt. (laughs) And in fact, because it was so old, it was basically a write-off and totaled. So next thing you know, Angel and I are car shopping. We're looking for a replacement vehicle. And as we're doing that search, it's kind of like a question dawned on us during those days. Could we live with just one vehicle? And we began, like, sort of wrestling with that question, and we thought, well, we actually live relatively close to my work. Like, like I'm right on a bus route and, and actually tried the bus, and I can get from door to door in six minutes. You know, bus ride. That's that's public transit. Uh, and then then thinking about walking or you know, uh, taking, you know, I actually bought a bicycle, all these kind of things. Thinking, And so we actually decided that we would experiment for a year and not replace that vehicle. And and it was remarkable what happened. It got really nice, to be honest, the, the several hundred dollars that were going each month to insurance and gas and maintenance and all that kind of stuff. It was amazing the savings that just kind of, I'm going, why is our bank account kind of more flush than normal? And it was because... You know, we didn't have that kind of expense, but what impacted me more personally than the dollars was the time, and I began to see how much time and emotional even burden that I carried because I was kind of the the vehicle person in our family. I took care of our vehicles. I would gas them. I would maintain them, and I realized how much time I was spending caring for this second vehicle, And, and to be honest, I don't think we'll ever go back. Like uh, like unless we're we're really, absolutely, objectively needing a second vehicle, I think we're we're really quite content with with one, and we found out how free it can be because of the time that we save. You know, we fill our lives with things that are meant to bring joy, but so often it becomes a distraction to us. And Jesus knows this, and I think that's maybe why he spent probably 25 percent of his teaching referenced money, and possessions. He was addressing this again and again. Why? He knows its power in our lives. You find this in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. If you have a Bible, you can turn there and follow along. But he says, quite famously in verse 19, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And and he goes on in the next section to talk about the darkening or blinding power of greed. And and, and you know what, folks, that's one of the things about greed is you really don't know you're greedy. We're blind to it. We, we, We really don't know when we have that the, the kind of talons it has into our hearts and our minds and our souls. And then in the verse 24, Jesus goes on to speak of the idolatry of money. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll, you'll hate the one and, and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. He says quite profoundly, you cannot serve both God and money. For Jesus, it's a non-option. You, you can't serve God and the system. You, you simply can't live the freedom way of Jesus and, and get sucked into the overconsumption that's that's just normal in our society. The two are, are mutually exclusive. You have to choose. And, and then listen to what Jesus immediately says in verse 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, he says, Do not worry about your life. No, notice I, I think this is profound. How Jesus connects possessions and money to worry. A a lot of our worries actually have to do with with money. In fact, I I wonder if it's not because we tend to worry about what we worship. John Mark Comer again says, if you worship money, it'll eat you alive. It really will. And Jesus concludes that section on money and possessions and worry with this encouragement, we find it in verse 31. He says, So do not worry, he says, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? By the way, those are the, all the basics of life, right? You got to eat, you got to drink, you got to wear clothes. Please wear clothes. Just a thought. And he goes on to say, For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom. And all these things will be given to you as well. Folks, Jesus offers, this, offers us this beautiful alternate vision of our lives that has very little to do with the Canadian dream. And, and it's a, a vision that is low on worry. <laughs> it, it's, it's an easy yoke. It's not marked by, by running after things like, like he says the pagans do. What are pagans? They're people who live as if God doesn't exist. Those are pagans. They're running after those things. It's it's marked, this vision that Jesus paints for us is marked by seeking first his kingdom, putting God, putting his values, putting his purposes in the world as number one in your life. And then to paraphrase, you do that, and he'll take care of the rest. He really will. You'll have what you need. And and, and even more than that, you'll experience this beautiful security of being cared for by the heavenly Father. Remember what he says? He says, your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He's saying, trust the Father. He loves you. He cares for you. You'll you'll experience that kind of security that comes from knowing him like that. Isn't that good? Man, I, I think we ought to, like, take that some of those words and place them all over our home and on our stuff and on our cars and, and maybe on our computers, wherever we're accessing. It'd be so good. This leads us to consider a spiritual practice that can help kind of reorientate us when it comes to, to our, our stuff, to help us not be possessed by our possessions. The spiritual discipline is called simplicity. Uh, it, historically, it's been called frugality which is a kind of an ancient word that none of us use anymore. Our our secular culture talks about this as minimalism. Um, And and I, I like the language of minimalism, but I think I more so like the language of simplicity. And this discipline is about intentionally decluttering our lives of stuff. Let me give you some definitions. Writer Josh Becker says, simplicity is the intentional promotion of the things that we value most, so, the kingdom of God, an unhurried life, our family, love, loving God, loving others, and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. Uh, Richard Foster and Mark Scadretti uh, define simplicity as an inward reality that can be seen in an outward lifestyle of choosing to leverage time, money, talents, and possessions toward what matters most. I, I like how John Mark Comer describes it. He says, the goal isn't just to declutter your closet or your garage, but to declutter your life, to clear away the myriad of distractions that ratchet up our anxiety, feed us an endless stream of mind-numbing drivel, and anesthetize us to what really matters. And folks, what's on offer for us is freedom. Richard Foster, whose whose book is appropriately titled, The Freedom of Simplicity, He says, Christian simplicity frees us from this modern media. It brings sanity to our compulsive extravagance and peace to our frantic spirit. I I know many who can testify to the power of this discipline who've who've actually tried Jesus in this practice and found it to be really, really good. One example, I I read a blogger this week who who testified to the journey of how uh, simplicity helped them find focus in their lives. She says this, she says, the older I get, the more impatient I become with my own clutter. I spent years acquiring more and more and more. Now my constant refrain is, how few, fill in the blank, clothes, books, devices, et cetera, can I get away with? And I have to say each, I love this language, each layer of my life that I shed leaves me feeling lighter and freer. Not good? There's, there's beautiful freedom in simplicity. Now, I want to get practical here and get down to the, the, the level of everyday life where this is not just kind of an idea. I want to suggest some potential steps or, or practices that can help us move towards greater simplicity and freedom in our lives. I'm really indebted to Richard Foster and his book, Freedom of Simplicity, and John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. This, his chapter on this was very, very good. Um, ten things. I'll try to go quick. First thought. Before you buy something, ask yourself this question, what is the true cost of this item? What's the true cost? Think about what it will cost to clean or repair, maintain, insure, finance, etc. It's It's more than just the sticker price. Can you actually afford it? Will, it? will it be something that points you towards what you value, God, love, loving others, all that kind of stuff? Or will it distract you from that? Will it pull you away from that? On top of that, you can actually measure hurry. Is this gonna be a, something that at, when you buy it is gonna speed up your life, or is it gonna help you slow down? So that's the first one. What is the true cost of this item? Second principle, avoid impulse buying. Much of the accumulation that happens in our lives happens because we don't think about it when we buy it, right? It's like you see something and you, you throw your credit card down and you, just, you grab it a good rule of thumb, especially with big purchases, is to to just sit on it for a while, to practice what you might call the two Ps, ponder and pray. Ponder and pray. Years ago, Angel and I got in the habit of of praying about purchases, and it's it's become a, a really neat part of our, I haven't used the word neat in a long time, by the way, neat part of our journey, our faith story, actually. Sometimes the What happens as we pray about something, as we give time uh, to consider a a purchase, the the desire just goes away. You realize, I I don't think we really need that. I I don't think I really want that. That's been one effect. And then other times as we prayed about it, it's like God just lands the thing in our lap, right? We pray about this need, and next thing you know, there it is, and we don't have to buy it at all. Somebody just says, hey, do you need a fill-in-the-blank, and it's there. It's really, really been cool. Um, We used to go garage sailing a lot. I I now, as a discipline, do not go garage sailing because it's become a place where I just accumulate more. But it was helpful when our kids were little and they were burning through clothes and shoes. Some of you were in that season, right? How quickly they wear through that stuff. You you guys with boys, I don't know, girls maybe the same, but boys are terrible. And uh, we'd go, but on our way out garage sailing, we would pause for a moment and we'd pray and say, God, you know what we need today, and we think we need shoes for our kids today. And it would seem like we'd hit the, 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 the garage sale where it was kids of our same age and the, the clothes were exactly what our boys needed and shoes. I gotta tell you, um, the best pair of shoes I've worn in the last 20 years cost me a dollar at a garage sale. Brand new, size 13 boats is what I need wide, you know, extra wide, and a dollar. I'm just saying, God is good at bargains. <laughs> Remarkable how God provides. But what I'm talking about here is, we're, we're talking about the ruthless elimination of hurry. We're talking about slowing down your spending, like, like slowing it down, actually, like being intentional about thinking about it and praying about it. I, I've got a friend, his new practice, every time he buys something, he doesn't bring it into his home until he gets rid of something. Isn't that cool? He's just decided, I'm not, I've, I've hit capacity, I'm not adding one more thing to my life. What a, what a smart guy. Number three, when you do buy, opt for fewer better things. This is just kind of about buying quality that will last. Simplicity doesn't mean you don't spend. We, we need to spend, but it might mean you think long term in your spending, so you're not replacing items as regularly. We've gotten tired of replacing bad kettles over the years, and we actually bought a better kettle because it was, it was frustrating. Every three years, it would seem we'd burn through a kettle. So buying to last. And buying that better thing would mean better for the environment, actually. Asking the questions, is this an environmentally friendly purchase? Be- better would mean, is it ethically sourced? Is it a product that, in its production, isn't oppressing the poor? Still, it's, it, it's good to ask, I think still, Before you buy some high-quality thing, do I actually need this? Because the world's constantly telling us we need more. Disciples of Jesus can ask the question, how can I live with less? Number four, this is a biggie, avoid recreational shopping, right? You know, shopping is listed as the number one recreational activity of Canadians, I know, I'm rough, right? It, it's it's kind of tough for us to love simpler, and to 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 reduce our spending if we're just kind of shoving it in our face all the time. A friend of mine, we're talking about the ease of purchasing through Amazon and how Amazon is just in your face all the time, and 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 so it might mean if we're going to be simple about this, is is actually. You know, removing that shopping app from your phone, it, it, it might mean actually changing the privacy settings on your computer so it can't actually personalize its ads towards you, which is annoying because you have one weak thought and that thought follows you for weeks as they try to sell you that product, right? Wear you down, right? So, so uh, avoid recreational shopping. Number five, consider a shopping fast. If you kind of know that you have addictive shopping habits consider not shopping for a season. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Sundar Christian, um, years ago uh, described how God led him to try this over Lent, actually, where he was not going to buy anything but food and gas and, and pay the bills for the season of Lent. So not even, he wouldn't even go to Starbucks and buy a cup of coffee. That's radical. I don't know. Um, Those are fighting words. Um, but he would not buy a newspaper, he, anything personal for himself, not a new shirt, nothing. And, and he did that for six weeks and he found it to be so rewarding that the next year he decided to do it for a year. And he said, he just said how freeing it was, how liberating it was. And so I, I years ago, probably about a decade ago, I decided to do this for Lent. And uh, guys, you wouldn't believe the kind of things. A, it was so hard and it was so great. It was so hard, and, and, and it began to show me things in my heart that um, you've heard of emotional eating. Any of you ever emotionally spend, right? Like, like you're trying to meet some need in your heart, and so you're, you're or you're feeling uh, bored or uh, upset about life, and and so shopping actually meets that need, right? Any, anybody there? Am, am I the only one? I think probably uh, there, there's we could have a support group on this one, and so. Um, I also found God loves to provide, and, and in those seasons where I've done a, a spending fasts, I found things again, God seems to have provided for us in remarkable ways. Number six, share. You learned this in kindergarten, share. Uh, this is just the idea that uh, we can share our belongings and it can be so very good. Um, it's actually gotten, it, it's opened doors of friendship for me and relationship. I, I intentionally uh, go over to my neighbors and meet my neighbors just because I want to meet my neighbors, but I found the greatest door opener is when you go with a need. And so if I need a tool, my lawnmower broke down and, and uh, I went over to my neighbor and said, listen, is there any chance I could borrow your lawnmower? And that has opened up a friendship with my, my neighbor now and uh, it's been a great thing as we've shared. And he said basically to me, he said, listen, you ever need anything, come on over, I've got this, don't buy this tool, you can do that. Uh, that my, my group of Starbucks friends, we've, we actually sort of cooperatively own a gas power washer that we, we've said, hey, hey, nobody buy one. We're going to sort of collectively share this. And, and what a gift that, that none of us need, only one of us, one of us who's got a bigger place stores it, uh, and it's been a real gift to have that. Um, so I, I like that. I like this whole idea of holding things in common together, As especially the, the people of God, a small group can think about this. I like, John Mark Comer quotes an early church father as saying, we hold everything in common except our wives. (laughs) Uh, Richard Foster, famous line, I love this line, changed my life. He said, you don't have to own it to enjoy it. You don't have to own it to enjoy it. Which means, uh, folks, there's a lot of wonderful free things Like, go outside. You don't have to pay to walk out your door. We live in some of the most beautiful place in the world and getting into creation and and those kind of things. So good, right? Um, Another word for you, library. I, I feel like Canadians are, I feel like we're rich when I go to the library and they just give you stuff to take home and you get to have it for a while, right? You don't have to own it to enjoy it. That's number seven. Number eight, get into the habit of giving things away. Um, common, common minimalist teaching is whatever you haven't used in, you, in a year, give that away, you know? And, and, and more than some minimalist advice, listen to the, the words of Jesus where he said, it's more blessed to give than receive. Haven't you found that? <laughs> this is really the great paradox that it truly is better. We get more joy out of giving than we do purchasing, than spending. Years ago, I remember Angel and I were saving uh, money towards the linoleum in our ensuite bathroom. And the you know, linoleum was really worn and ugly, and uh, we'd saved about $500 towards fixing this. And we were about to kind of pull the trigger on it and getting it repaired, and and then we heard about this need at this Christian ministry that we knew of, and and so we actually wrestled with this. We were like. Lord, we'd like to meet this need, like we'd like to help out if we can, and how could we help? Like we want to send a financial gift, and the Lord brought that linoleum fund to mind, and uh, we decided not to do the upgrade in our bathroom, and we never did. We moved from that house. I'm grateful we didn't waste the money, but while we lived there, every time I then walked through that bathroom, it became a symbol to me, and it was like those words of Jesus do not store up for yourself treasures here on earth where, where linoleum rots and vermin steal and all that kind of stuff, however it goes. But he became a symbol of that, and, and we felt like we were in storing up treasures in heaven by investing in a ministry that was, was seeking to change lives at, for, for the kingdom, for Jesus. So good. Uh, and so Ephesians 4.28 says, if you were a th-, this is the Apostle Paul saying, if you're a thief... He says, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for hard, good hard work and then give generously to others in need. One of the reasons you work, apparently, is so you won't steal. But another is so that you can give to people in need. Uh, nine, uh, re- just quick think- thinking here. Use a budget. Spend. Uh, again, this is a way of thinking about, pondering about your, your spending is to actually come up with a spending plan. That would be number nine. Number 10, reject the fashion machine. A big thought here is wear out your clothes. Uh, John Mark Comer suggests that this is probably the number one place most of us can start uh, because many of us have way too many clothes. He got radical with this, and I I want you to hear this, so listen to it, and we'll wrap up. He said, the first time I went through my closet, I decided to limit my wardrobe to six outfits, outfits per season, one for every day of the week, with Sunday as a Choose your own adventure day." (laughs) I love that. I literally had an outfit schedule on the inside of my closet door. He says, if you saw me on Monday, I was wearing my gray sweatshirt and black jeans. A year later, I did it again. On round two, I realized a different outfit every single day is a bit ridiculous. By then, I was also aware of the injustice of the fashion industry, which makes buying new clothes a total pain in the butt uh, neck. He said neck, not butt. Sorry, my faux pas. <laughs> Somebody's like, like, he said button church. <laughs> it could be worse. So. <laughs> Breathe, one, breathe!" <laughs> he said, so I cut it in half, and I went to, down to three outfits per season. Now I was wearing my gray sweatshirt on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I love it. Recently, I went down to two for summer. I alternate, alternate every other day, and it feels great. I love each outfit. They're both ethically made and environmentally sourced. And for the first time I can ever remember, I have extra money in my clothing budget and no need to spend it or desire to. I feel free. I I read those words of John Mark Comer this week, and I said, well, that's radical. Who could ever do that? And I was tempted to write John Mark off as too radical until I look again at Jesus and look at not only how Jesus was a model of simplicity, but how Jesus was a model of joy and love and peace. And I'm going, oh, man, do I want to hold on to my things so tightly that I miss out on Jesus' love, joy, and peace? Do I really want to hold on to my things that, that, that much, that I would miss out on that, what's on offer to us? St. Francis of Assisi in the 12th century became known for walking away from the immense wealth of his family. Like he, he, he sold it all, and, and he went to serve God and his kingdom and lived this life of of frugalness, of of simplicity. It was said of of St. Francis and his band of followers that they led a cheerful, happy revolt against the spirit of materialism. They they, they saw uh, spreading Jesus' message of simplicity as one and the same with spreading his message of joy. You know, we often hear less is better, less but better? What if less is better? I think that's a message our culture desperately needs to hear. What, what do you think, folks? Isn't it time that we maybe participate in a revolution? Who wants to, be a, to lead a cheerful, happy revolt against the spirit of materialism? Who of you wants to be free? Let me conclude with Jesus' words. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you as well. That's the bullseye. That's what we're aiming for. It's not enough to just get simplicity in our lives. This is a tool to help us seek Jesus' kingdom first. Let's just uh, take a couple moments to pray. We're going to Close off with that. If, if God has been speaking to you about the power of money and things in your life this morning, why not just take a, a, a minute to have a, a moment or two of reflection of what are you going to do about that? Like, what is God asking you to do? What step is, is maybe something that you might take? What might be he asking you to ponder and pray about it? Let's just, I'm going to give you a minute or two to, to pray. Lord, I think we needed to hear this message this morning. I know I did. And we confess to you the, the power that, uh, and authority that, that money speaks to in our lives, uh, the, the, the level that uh, it has often been a rival God for us. And we confess we need your help. And so I pray for a breakthrough in our lives where you would help us to to adopt where we need to this practice, this discipline of of simplicity, that, that we might cast off those things that are hindering us in our walk with you, that are keeping us from, from living a, a life of joy and peace. Uh, Father, uh, forgive us where, where we buy into the Canadian dream that more is better. And uh, Lord, we pray. Uh, Help us to flesh this out. And may it result in, in others being blessed. You said it's more blessed to give than to receive. May uh, we as individuals and even as a congregation, as we seek to do that, as we seek to bless and be a, a blessing uh, church, um, Lord, might, might we experience your blessing in return. God, you're so good. We pray these things together in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, why don't we stand together? I'm going to uh, just again conclude with a benediction. And we have refreshments back there. I want to encourage you to, to avail yourself of that. If you'd like prayer this morning, I'd love for you to come to the front here, but may you hear this blessing over your life. May God bless you and keep you. May the Lord Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn toward you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. God bless you.